preach word this morning will come from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 19 through 22. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. This is God's word. So, beloved, in case you didn't know it, the church is not an inanimate organization. It is not some civil organization or fraternity or sorority or a neighborhood association. But the church is a living organism. The church is alive. It's alive because it has been formed and infused by God with life. The breath and the life of the church, like you and I, is a breath and life that comes directly from God himself. And in this, the church is God's representative. It is, it is a representation of his kingdom upon this earth. And it is built for the display and the declaration of his glory. And in accomplishing this kingdom building work that uh, we call the church, our Lord uses two primary instruments that remind us that we are alive. Two primary instruments the Lord uses to to build up this church that is to be his representation of his kingdom upon the earth. It is the spirit and the word the Spirit, and the Word. In fact, this is what separates us. This is what separates the church from being a neighborhood association. This is what separates the church from being just some civil organization. This is what separates the church from from fraternities and sororities. It is this, that we have the Spirit and the Word. We are formed and fashioned by the Spirit and the Word. Jesus makes a promise in Matthew chapter 16. It is a promise that he spoke to his disciples, but it wasn't just a promise that Jesus was making to his disciples, beloved. It is a promise that Jesus was making to himself. When he spoke those words that I will build my church. I will build my church. From that day until now, Jesus has been and continues to be building his church. And as he promised, the gates of hell have not, nor will the gates of hell ever prevail against her. 
And the reason that is true is because of the two primary instruments that our Lord uses to build that church. They are inconquerable, they are indomitable, and they are the Spirit and the Word. Spirit and Word. Spirit and Word. That's what we are, beloved. We are spirit and word people with emphasis on and. We are spirit and word people with emphasis on and. Now, I know you get into certain groups and they want to put the, spirit, the emphasis on the spirit or the emphasis on the word. But biblically speaking, we are spirit and word People. Unfortunately, at times, in various corners of the church, one has been emphasized to the detriment of the other. Some of us emphasize the word to the neglect of the spirit. And so, therefore, there we receive charges that are lev leveled at us because many of us are quote-unquote thinking Christians. Thinking Christians. <clears throat> this is what happens to us when we get accused of being, you know, tired, dyed in the wool, Calvinist, the frozen, chosen. We have a dead orthodoxy that leaves little room for affection and excitement and personal experience with God. It's all head and very little to no heart. We got the word. And then there are those who emphasize the spirit to the neglect of the word. And this is when we are accused of being overzealous Pentecostals and charismatics. With plenty of zeal, but very little regard for truth in the word. Emotionalism with little regard for a firm foundation in the word of God to base those emotions upon. We are content to swim in the shallow parts of the pool and never venture into the deep parts of the truth of God's word. It is a lot of feeling and very little thought. But we spirit-filled. And we move as the spirits say move. A little questioning whether or not the spirit is actually moving or not. But beloved, a healthy church is built not just upon notions of the spirit or Digging and 
intellectualizing God's word, but a healthy church, like a healthy Christian, is built on spirit and word. Spirit and word. It is, it is, it is the worship of God with heart and head. It is pursuing God and understanding God and communicating God with our and communicating with God with our intellects and our emotions. It is understanding that God desires to communicate with us both with our hearts and with our heads. He forms and shapes us with both word and spirit. Spirit and word. The word and the spirit. And they work together, beloved. They are not in opposition to one another, contrary to what some of us might think. They are not working against one another, but in the decrees and within the kingdom of God, spirit and word are working together to shape God's people and to bring the testimony of Jesus Christ in their lives and consequently into the world. And this is what we see in the scriptures. The spirit and the word. John chapter 6, verse 63 Jesus says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. And then he says, the words that I have spoken to you, they are what? Spirit and life. Do you see what Jesus is saying there? It is the spirit that gives life, but the words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and life. They are not in opposition to one another. It is word and spirit. In Romans chapter 2 and uh, Romans chapter 8 and, and verse 2, the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of life. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 16, God's word is called the word of They both are God's life-giving instruments. Spirit and word. They, they both, according to Scripture, are holy. They both are used as agents of renewing God's people. They both are used as agents of cleansing God's people. The Spirit and the Word work together to bring about the will of God in the lives of God's people. Spirit and word. Word and spirit. It's not the spirit or the word. And so we need to understand that both of them are indispensable to a healthy, growing church, and a healthy, Growing, God-glorifying Christians. Spirit and word. And since that's the case, and you can understand 
why Paul says to the Thessalonians, do not quench the spirit and do not despise prophecy. Some of you will quench the spirit, but you will be in love with prophecy. And some of you will despise prophecy because all you want to do is have fun in the spirit. And Paul says, no, it is spirit and word. And he begins by saying, therefore, do not quench the spirit. If I might put it positively, keep the fire burning. Fan the flame that is Holy Spirit in your midst. The Holy Spirit, beloved, is given to us to enliven us. The Holy Spirit is given to us to strengthen us. The Holy Spirit is given to us to excite us. The Holy Spirit is given to us to shape us and to conform us and cure us for Jesus. For Jesus. Spirit is not a force. And that's why when we leave the church, we don't look at each other and say, may the force be with you. Because the Spirit is not a force, but rather the, the Spirit is a person that according to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, that can be grieved. And that grieving is caused by, beloved, when we quench him. When we quench his power and influence and directives in our lives. The idea of quenching there is the idea of extinguishing. I think that's better for us to get. extinguish. And so rather than say do not quench the spirit, you can say perhaps some of your translations does say do not extinguish Holy Spirit. Now why is that so important? That is important to understand because in the scriptures the word extinguish here is associated with putting out fire. In Mark chapter 9 in verse 44, the Bible speaks of hell as being a what? Unquenchable fire. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 16, the Bible speaks of extinguishing the flaming darts of the devil. And so the idea here of quenching and, and extinguishing is that of a fire being put out, a fire that is being retarded by some agent or element. And that is quite appropriate, isn't it? Because Holy Spirit is associated with what? Fire. 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 
fire, fire, fire. That's what it says. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. John promises that Jesus would come and that he would baptize, not just like John did, baptize with water, but he would do what? Baptize with the Spirit and fire. Fire. In Acts chapter 2, verse 3, they are gathered together there in the upper room. The Bible says the Holy Spirit came upon them and rested upon them like what? Tongues of fire. And in this sense, the Holy Spirit is given to us. The, the metaphor that we see there, the Holy Spirit, is fire. Fire that warms us. Fire that not only warms up us, but fire that purifies us. And fire that cleanses us. Indeed, fire that awakens us. Sets a fire underneath us. You ever want to know if somebody dead or they just asleep? Set some fire to them. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Wakens us out of the deadness of our sleep and sets us ablaze for Christ. Therefore, the idea of extinguishing or quenching Holy Spirit is appropriate, beloved. When Paul says, do not quench Holy Spirit, he understands that Holy Spirit is a fire within us. And he is not to be extinguished. He is not to be quenched. Unfortunately, many of us are just living, breathing, walking around fire extinguishers. And the minute the Holy Spirit begins to prompt us or to move us, we immediately take out our fire extinguishers. And once we have uh, eliminated all the flame on us, we look around for anybody else who seems to be on fire. says, no, no, put your fire extinguishers down and don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the movement of God in your life and in the lives of those around you. How do we do that? How do we keep from quenching the Holy Spirit? Well, you quenching the Holy Spirit when you don't listen to his voice, but you spend time, more time listening to your own. Now, don't, don't tell me if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit isn't talking to you. The Holy Spirit talks to you all the time. 
just the fact you spend so much time quenching him that his voice becomes more and more and more faint. Holy Spirit speaking to us all the time. He speaks to us. If you are a Christian, the Lord has not left you without his witness. It is the, it is the Spirit of God who is pushing you to embrace the things of God. That voice that you hear pushing you more and more to embrace the things of God, even the tough things of God, that's Holy Spirit. That voice of God that is pulling you away from the things of the flesh and the things of this world, even those things that you think will bring you much pleasure and joy, that's Holy Spirit. He's speaking to you, beloved. You and I, we quench the Holy Spirit by refusing and neglecting those things that can fan the flame of Holy Spirit in our life. The question, beloved, this morning is not whether or not you and I quench the Holy Spirit. We all do. The question is not whether or not we do it. The question is, will we stop and begin to fan the flame? Excite the flame in our lives. I always know it's the Holy Spirit talking to you. You see, it is never the Holy Spirit that tells you not to go to church. That voice you get on any morning, whatever it is, you're tired or whatever it is, it's raining or whatever it is, you got something you think is more important to do. And they say something inside you says, let's go do this. That is not Holy Spirit. That is not Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the one in the background that is urging you and telling you, fight through it. Get there. Drop everything else and make it. And you know he talks to you like that. Talks to me like that every Sunday. You can go, son. I know you want to give yourself reason not to, but you can make it. You got to preach. <laughs> That's what the Holy Spirit does, beloved. He's speaking to us. And if that voice is getting more and more faint, it's because you are pouring your fire extinguisher upon it. What is the Holy Spirit? Who's moving you in the midst of the sermon or in the midst of the song to shout amen. It is Holy Spirit. You feel it. You sense it. And you say, I'm not going to do that. It is not Miss Mary who is strange for saying Amen. If Holy Spirit is leading you to shout, if Holy Spirit is leading you to clap, if Holy Spirit is leading you to dance, 
and you refuse to do it because you look around and nobody else is doing it? That's because we all got fire extinguishers. Listen. It's not me telling you to clap. It's not me telling you to shout. It's not me telling you to raise your hands. You think that's the devil telling you to do that? You think it's the devil telling you to say amen? Who is that? And why aren't you doing it? The Holy Spirit leads you to Open that Bible that's been sitting on your table all every time you walk by. He said, there it is. But you've got more important things to do. You'll get to it later. And you never get to it. The Holy Spirit was telling you every time you walk by it, pick it up. It's the Holy Spirit who's telling you, oh, you remember you said you were going to pray for so-and-so. Oh, I'll do it later. Who do you think is telling you that? Who do you think is telling you, pray for them? Who do you think is telling you? Open the word. The Holy Spirit is leading you to do that. And every time we don't, we put a little bit more retarded upon the flame. It's Holy Spirit telling you, you know you need to forgive. It is Holy Spirit telling you, you know you need to rejoice anyhow. It is Holy Spirit who is telling you, you know you need to be giving God thanks for all things. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Every time we refuse, every time we reject, every time we don't, we pour retardant upon the flame of God. But God gives us his spirit, beloved, so that we would fan that flame. We would fan that flame His Holy Spirit is not in our lives so that we will put wet wood on him. We ought to fan it and not allow anybody else to put their wet wood on it either. To fan that flame, beloved. To pour kerosene on it. And let it flame up. Allow the Holy Spirit to be for you what he was to Christ. And what was that? In Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 42, I mean chapter 11 and verse 2, it says, And the Spirit of, of the Lord will rest upon him the spirit of wisdom 
and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the spirit of fear of God. That is the spirit that rested upon Christ. That is the spirit we have within us if we would fan that flame. And it begins by keeping the word of God fresh in our hearing and in our midst. Do not despise prophecies. Don't despise the prophecies. Or if we might put it positively again, keep the word of God fresh. Keep the word of God alive. Do not neglect or take lightly the word of God or the will of God in your midst. Now, the early church, beloved, depended upon prophecy. When they got together and they gathered as a community, prophecy was critical. Why? Because it was the means It was the means through which God revealed the word to his people. It was the means through which God revealed his will to his people. They gathered together. They eagerly anticipated somebody speaking. What is the word of God to us? What is the will of God for our lives? That's what prophecy was. And therefore, to despise prophecy is to despise the will of God. To despise prophecy is to be despising the word of God. For the man who stands up before the congregation And proclaims, thus says the Lord, and dares to speak with a prophetic voice is the voice that is not to be taken lightly. But this is not something, beloved, understand me, this is not something that is just the adventure of the pastor or the preacher who will stand in the pulpit. But the Bible says in those latter days, God's spirit will rest upon all of us. And so as we are talking and engaging with one another, if we are submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is using us as we are engaging with one another, we speak prophetically to each other. That's why, beloved, we must not despise it. For God is not averse to using you to speak to me. Nor is he averse to using your neighbor here to speak truth and encouragement and challenge in your life. To be prophetic in one another's lives 
and for us not to despise it. Oh, and we quickly do, don't we? We quickly despise it. We quickly reject it, beloved. Do you know this is the work of the enemy? This is what Satan wants. Satan wants you to dismiss the word this morning. He's already given you reasons to do so. Satan wants you to discard the word this morning. Satan wants you to discredit the word this morning. He's already planting seeds in your mind and your heart for you and I to do so. Bible says, don't dismiss it. Don't discredit it. Don't discard it. I got a better idea. Test it. Test it. Test it. Don't immediately discard it. And don't immediately dismiss it. Whether it's coming from this pulpit or the pew next to you, test it. You ought to test everything the Bible says. Test it. How are you going to test it? You test it by the word, don't you? What it says in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. That those Jews who were in Berea, when they heard Paul and the others preaching and prophesying, the Bible says that they went home and opened the scriptures to make sure that what Paul and the others were saying was true. Now, if Paul can get tested, you and I can get tested. Test to see if what I'm saying. It's true, beloved. Always, always, always make sure that what is said is to be found in the Word of God. Make sure if somebody is saying that God said, you make sure that what God said, God has said in His Word. Test it, test it. Test it. Well, there are many, beloved, there are many so-called prophets and prophetesses out there in the world. Many, many, many. Some of them preach. A lot of them sing. And the fact of the matter is, beloved, you have to test what is preached. But you don't just test what is preached, beloved. In our day, you need to be testing what is sung. Just because they have fancy words and fine clothes, do not make them a faithful prophet. And just because the music is tight, doesn't make the message right. Test it! Test it by the word of God. That's why the Bible is called what it's called, beloved. The Bible is called the canon. Canon means ruler, measure, 
You take whatever else is said and sung and you lay it alongside and see if it measures up. Does it fit? Does it fit? Listening the other day to one of these preachers on TV. Place full, thousands of people in here. Thousands of people in there. And I thought to myself, you know what he's doing? He's given Saul's armor to David. It doesn't fit. You trying to make me wear something that doesn't fit. It doesn't work. It's not right. It is not for God. For when I fight for God, God gives me a uniform that fits. He knows my measurements. That's how you know it's from God, beloved. Because it's from his word. And it measures up. And if you're humble, it fits. You test it. You test it by the word. You're not only tested by the word, beloved, you tested by Jesus. You tested by Jesus. First John chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. The Bible says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets has gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. It's from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God says Christ is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. How do you test whether or not it's true? You test it by the Word and then you lay it alongside Jesus. And is it glorifying Christ. If it is true, it will point you to Jesus. For this is what Holy Spirit does. And remember, we are spirit and word people. And this is what Holy Spirit does. Holy Spirit comes to glorify and make much of Jesus. That's how you know it's of the Holy Spirit. Is Christ being exalted? Is Christ being lifted up? Those who are led by the Spirit, beloved, are going to make much of Jesus. That's why you listen. Listen carefully. 
Listen to what they're saying. Listen to what I'm saying. Listen. Does it make much of me or does it make much of Jesus? Listen. Am I bearing witness and seeking to glorify my wife? Or is Christ all in all? Am I lifting up my planes and trains and automobiles? Or am I lifting up Jesus? Am I making much of my children or am I making much of Christ? Is it about my, the color of my skin or is it about my political party or is it about Christ? That's how you know. When it boils down, do you see Jesus? That's why, beloved, you got to listen carefully. But if this is about the Spirit, and if the prophecy is true, it will be about Jesus. That's why the Bible says, hold fast to what is good. Test everything, hold fast to what is good. What's good? The Spirit is good. The Word is good. But most of all, beloved, Jesus is good. Does it cause you to want to hold on to Jesus? Hold on to Jesus. And abstain for every form of evil. Because anything, beloved, that is purporting to be of God and is making much of Jesus, count it down as evil. I had someone tell me one time that y'all preach Jesus too much. And I said to myself, excuse me? Can you have too much Jesus? Can you have too much Jesus? I thought about that and then I thought, that's like telling a football coach, you have too many wins. Excuse me? Yeah, you winning too much. No, no, no. You see, every moment of every day when I get up in the morning, I got one goal. I got to win that football game. And every morning when I get up, I got one goal. I want more Jesus. I want more Jesus. I can't have too many wins. And I can't have too many Jesus. Too much Jesus. I hadn't met that person. And I doubt I will. I got more. More Jesus more Jesus. 
the songwriter said, and he said it right there. More, more, more about Jesus. More and more and more about Jesus. More of his saving fullness see. More of his love. He died for me. More, beloved, more of his holy will discerned. More, Spirit of God, teach me, showing the things of Christ to me. More, more about Jesus. That's what happens when you fan the flames. Holy Spirit's going to point you more to Jesus. That's what's going to happen when you keep the word of God alive. You're going to get more Jesus. Hold on to him. Hold on to him and seek him more.